Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. Today, I'm joined by Erica Frank, one of my colleagues at Shaw Law Group, and a fellow employment law nerd. Hi, Erica. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. And I'm just such a happy nerd when it comes to employment law. It's so fun to nerd out with you. Well, you know what? I just love talking about these issues. And one of the things we've done over the last couple of episodes is talk about New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about job descriptions. We've talked about document retention policies. Also, of course, this is a training year for sexual harassment prevention training and EEO compliance. Today, we're going to talk about rest break and meal period compliance. And I know some of you, your eyes are rolling back in your head right now because you're thinking, we've been talking about this for 10 years and we literally have been. We were all waiting for the Brinker decision for the California Supreme Court to issue the Brinker decision and to let us know, you know, what does it mean to provide a rest break and meal period What does it mean to enforce our policies? And of course, since Brinker came down several years ago, we've had a number of rest and meal period cases. One of the reasons we've got to talk about this is there were some important developments this year, and and I should say last year, in 2021. And those developments are not necessarily common sense. So I want to make sure you're all aware what's going on there. Then we've got to talk about the hybrid workplace. I know we keep talking about remote and hybrid, but when you have non-exempt employees, employees who must take and be provided their rest breaks and meal periods, how do you manage that? How do you ensure that you're giving them the opportunity? So these are all issues that we need to talk about. Now, the first thing we talked about in our very first podcast a couple of weeks ago, the regular rate of pay. Remember that in that Farrah versus Lowe's hotel decision, the California Supreme Court said that you've got to pay those premiums for non-compliant rest breaks and non-compliant meal periods at the employee's regular rate of pay, not their base rate. Now, remember, for many employees, base rate is regular rate, right? It's just the hourly rate they're paid. They don't get paid at anything else. But if you have a workplace where you pay different rates on the weekend, different rates at night, you pay travel time differently than time at a conference, you give incentives, you give bonuses, you give commissions, then the the regular rate of pay is going to be different and you're going to have up to four years of liability. So not only do you need to change your practices immediately going forward if you haven't already done that, but you've also got to deal with past liability and just decide affirmatively Am I going to roll the dice? Am I going to try to fix it? What am I going to do? And Jen, I love when you talk about common sense because there's nothing that makes sense about the meal and rest break rules. And I always love to say that it's really nothing about eating. There's nothing to do with meal when we talk about meal breaks. It's really just time, free time, off the duty, off the clock time. Um, But one of the things that I think would be helpful to remind our listeners, what are the rules? I mean, is it like an hour here, an hour there? What are the requirements and when does that premium pay kick in? So one of the things to keep in mind is that the rest break and meal period requirements are dictated by the applicable wage order. All right. So every industry and workplace is covered by at least one wage order, either an occupational wage order about like a task and occupation. So 
Um, for example, you might have professional employees. That's a broad category, but those are covered by wage order four. And also industry wage orders, like wage order five, which applies to what we call the public housekeeping industry, hotels, restaurants, lodges, summer camps, that sort of thing. So you gotta know what wage order applies to you. Generally, the vast majority of employees are entitled to a paid, duty-free, able to leave the premises rest break of at least 10 minutes for every four hours they work or major fraction thereof. So paid, duty-free, they can leave the premises one every four hours, but once they work two hours in a four hour period, they're entitled. So six hours, they're gonna get two rest breaks. Meal periods generally are going to be 30 minutes in duration, at least a minimum, unpaid, not paid like rest breaks. They are duty free. You must be able to leave the premises and they must begin before the end of the fifth hour at work. And I'm telling you, Erica, I have taught so many hundreds of employers to count on their fingers when you do this. Yes. Because if your employee comes in at eight, eight to nine is hour one, nine to 10 is hour two, 10 to 11 is hour three, 11 to 12 is hour four, 12 to one is hour five. It must begin before the end of the fifth hour, which means your employee better start their meal period by 1259. That's not how a lot of people count the five hours, but that's the way it needs to be done. And unlike time that you may round work time, you can't round a meal period. We had another decision about that issue last year in 2021 that said, listen, you got to give the full 30 minute unpaid duty free, leave the premises meal period. And if you're, if it's 29 minutes, it's non-compliant. And that is when those premiums kick in that are covered by labor code section 226.7 when you have a situation where someone didn't have a compliant rest break or meal period now erica talk about employers who call us because this happens all the time but jen doesn't want to take her meal period jen wants to take her meal period at seven hours so she can go get ella from her dance class if the employer and the employee agree to it, that's okay, right, Erica? They can waive it if they want to. No, the only time really an employee under the law can waive it is if their ship's completed in six hours or less. Then by mutual waiver agreement, the employer and the employee can agree. Your example of, can I just work through my, my meal break so I can leave at four o'clock instead of five? No, you can't. You just can't. And here's the thing. We know in Brinker, the court said, look, employer, as long as you're providing that break time, as long as you're providing the uninterrupted 30-minute duty-free time, the employee could decide what they want to do. You don't have to police. But in reality, guys, you do. Because if you're not policing, then that employee is working through their meal break. So you have no clock in or clock out punch. You have no proof to show that the meal and rest break has been taken. Now, I know a lot of employers have worked with their timekeeping management systems to allow for a notation or some kind of documentation that the meal period was provided, but the employee chose not to take it. It's an administrative task and management that many employers just don't have time to do. The other thing that, Jen, we want to touch upon before we close out today is 
you know, when we were all in the workplace, it was much more feasible for a supervisor to walk down the halls to, to determine whether their employees were taking their rest breaks or whether the employee was taking the meal break. And if not, making sure that it was documented, the reason why, and if necessary, pay that premium pay. With employees no longer physically at the workplace, the monitoring is lost. And that becomes very more on an honor base by the employee. And, you know, from my perspective, and Jen, I think you'll agree, more important for employers to reminding their employees about the policies and what the expectations are surrounding meal and rest breaks. Absolutely. And the thing is, again, just like when we talk about training, this requires a comprehensive um, approach, right? You've got to have policies. You've got to have supervisors and managers and employees trained in what the requirements are. You've got to make sure that you've got someone to enforce the requirements. You've got to make sure you've got someone reviewing the records to see, are you constantly seeing people clock in at 29 minutes? What are we doing about it? Because Safeway found out recently the hard way that your time records can be the evidence that you didn't do what you were supposed to do. A bunch of short meal periods means you didn't properly enforce your meal period policy. And Safeway's a good employer. There was nothing purposeful there. But those records are contemporaneous evidence. And just like when we discussed document retention policies a few weeks back, that documentation is very relevant when we look at legal claims. So it's critical to be sure that we understand, all right, what are we doing for rest break and meal period compliance? And it's going to depend on your industry. Do you have personal attendants who work in somebody's home to take care of someone who has a disability or someone who's elderly? Do you have people who work at a restaurant? Do you have somebody who's on a construction site? Do you have someone who's um, doing sales calls, but they don't meet the outside sales exemption because they're not out of the office 50% of the time? Are, what are they supposed to pull over on the side of the road and take their meal period? How do they record it? You've got to think about all those issues. As with everything we discuss on this podcast, you've got to have a strategy. You've got to have a procedure and a plan for how you're going to deal with these issues. And the other thing, too, when we're talking about our remote employees, our remote non-exempt employees who are bound by these meal and rest break rules, it is absolutely permissible for the employee to say, well, I need to run to the grocery store. It's the timing of when they're going to run to the grocery store. So again, going back to that timing component and why it's so important um, as far as saying, look, what you all do during your 30 minute uninterrupted break time is, is up to you. You just need to be back working at the end of those 30 minutes. But we care about when you go on that 30 minute break. It has to be within four hours and 59 minutes of your shift, as Jen said. So it's really important to say, look, even though you're working remotely, doesn't mean you can just decide to go take your break when we want to. And let's be honest, folks, one of the benefits of working remotely is you do have the flexibility of also handling personal matters, including folding your laundry while you're on a conference call. So let's keep it real and remember at least to some to when it comes to the requirements and timing of the meal and rest break that we be very specific and clear with our employees through our policies through our procedures through our training the whole bit erica thank you so much we've come to the end of another episode everyone thank you so much for joining us today on workplace wake up 
Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, or email us at info at shawlawgroup.com. Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.